0: Well, good morning. It is uh, the Lord's Day, most importantly. It it is also, we recognize Memorial Day weekend. And if the various patriotic holidays, if I may, are not clear in your mind, quick recap. Veterans Day in the fall, we uh, thank those still living who have served or are serving in our nation's military and uh, Independence Day, 4th of July, right, we celebrate our country's freedom. Memorial Day, we remember those who gave the ultimate sacrifice who actually uh, died in service to their country. And um, so it's something to to think about and to consider. Uh, For some of us we kind of look at it just a you know a long weekend or, or something like that, but there there's more to it. And yet when we come here to God's house, Our banner is not the uh, old glory. Our banner is actually uh, the Lord. With that said, I think of Memorial Day and and the parades. My son and also my daughter were in marching band in high school. And so uh, as a family, we had our share and more of parade. Some people love a parade. Uh, Other people maybe not so much. And others maybe perhaps ambivalent about it. But I think about parades, uh, and we're going to look at a parade today of sorts from the scriptures. Uh, We are continuing in the book of Nehemiah. We are in the penultimate chapter, chapter 12, and we're going to look at that now. Uh, Not quite in its entirety, because the first 21 verses is a list of names and difficult to pronounce. I'll have a few remarks about that roster of names in a few moments, but first I want to go ahead and read for us the rest of the chapter starting at verse 22. Now this is provided for your convenience on the back of your sermon outline. If you prefer to look in, uh, on your device, you'll have to find it yourself. In your pew Bible, uh, then this starts on page 479 and on to the next. Here then God's word. In the days of Eliashib, Joiada, Johanan, and Jaddua, the Levites were recorded as heads of father's houses. So too were the priests in the reign of Darius the Persian. As for the sons of Levi, their heads of father's houses were written in the book of the Chronicles until the day of Johanan, the son of Eliashib. And the chiefs of the Levites, Hashabiah, Sherabiah, and Jeshua, the son of Cadmiel with their brothers who stood opposite them to praise and to give thanks according to the commandment of David, the man of God. Watch by watch, Mataniah, Bakbukiah, Obadiah, Meshulam, Talman, and Akub were gatekeepers standing guard at the storehouses of the gates. These were in the days of Joiakim, son of Jeshua, son of Josadak, and in the days of Nehemiah the governor and of Ezra, the priest and scribe. Verse 27. And uh, starting in 27, by the way, and particularly in verse 31, we see it more personalized that Nehemiah, whereas there were reports that were included in chapters uh, 8 through the the first part of 12 in particular, we see Nehemiah particularly uh, re-engage at this point. Twenty-seven, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Notophtites, also from bet and from the region of uh, Geba and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought, see there it is, first person, Nehemiah. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them, Hoshea and half of the leaders of Judah and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemaiah, and Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets. Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemaiah, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives. Shemaiah, Azarel, Milalai, Gilalai. Ma'ai, Natanel, Judah, and Hananai were the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. 37. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north. And I followed them, pause, Interesting, Ezra leads one procession, uh, Nehemiah follows the other procession. All right. So uh, 38, the other choir of those who give thanks went to the north, and I, that is Nehemiah, followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half of the officials with me and the priests, Eliakim, Maaseah... Uh, Miniamin, Micaiah, another guy's name, Zechariah, and Hananiah with trumpets, and Maseiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehoanan, Maltijah, Elam, and Ezer. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Verse 44. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits and the tithes to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification, as did the singers and the gatekeepers, according to the command of David and his son Solomon. For long ago, in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers, and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites. And the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. Thus ends the reading of God's word. Sons of Aaron, descendants from the priestly line. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you will help us to behold wondrous things from your law and that you would convict us concerning sin and righteousness and judgment and that you would be our tutor now to lead us to Christ in whose name we pray. Amen. All right. So what do we make uh, uh, of this? First, a few comments about the roster of names. I read plenty of names, didn't I? But I didn't read verses 1 through 21, which is almost exclusively named. So, just a few observations as we try to understand what's going on here in this great celebration. And if you don't take anything else away from today, take away this that verse 43 is the key. All right? Verse 43 is the key verse because five times in one verse it talks about the joy of this day, the joy of this scene. But the roster of names, verses 1 through 21, priests and Levites are included. Levites, again, being sort of assistants to the priests. They were responsible for much of uh, the activities and events and furnishings and and, uh, the sacrificial needs of the house of God. So that's part of who is named here. It's also significant because they remember generations who had gone before, and they're embracing a godly heritage in doing that. I suppose at some of the Memorial Day observances today, um, lists of names of people who gave their lives would be uh, remembered or sometimes read or monuments observed where the names are engraved. And and this is somewhat similar to that in that they're hearkening back to those who had gone before in the, the history of Israel. Their choir master is named here in verse 42, a fellow named Jezrehiah. Uh, a lay leader, Hoshiah, in verse 32, he seemed to, to lead in one direction with Nehemiah, the governor, a layperson. person. Um, oh, I'm sorry, uh, he, he seemed to go the direction, I think, with Ezra, if I have it right. Verse 35, there's a descendant of Asaph mentioned, remember uh, the songs of Asaph, a number of the Psalms, Psalm 50, and then some other ones, a bunch of other ones as well. So what we've got here is the scene then is described, particularly in verses 31 through 42. So we have some of the uh, the who, some of the where, you know, this group went this way, and that group went that way, and you've got the landmarks, the various gates mentioned uh, as they went opposite directions on the wall, remember, this wasn't a wall like just one brick thick, like your garden wall at home. This was a wall that was many feet thick that uh, served as sort of a, a fortress, a barricade against any invading army. And so the people could walk on top. Contrary to what the opponents had said chapters ago when they began the work of rebuilding the wall, what, was, what did the opponents say about the wall? Oh, look at their crummy walls. Even so much as a little fox jumped on it, the whole thing would fall down. Well, not so, because people marched on this wall. And we have a raucous parade, what James Boyce calls a festive wall walk. That's what's going on in this great scene of the two choirs going opposite directions, singing antiphonally, that sing-song back-and-forth kind of uh, to each other and to the Lord, and they meet up at the temple. That's the important thing, verse 40. They meet up there. So, let's look for a moment at the choir's purpose. If we've already talked uh, 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 for a moment about who and the where of all this narrative, what about why? What was the purpose? And if you looked on the back of your sermon outline in particular, I tried to make it evident with the bold print. The choir's purpose is to praise and give thanks to God. It says it many times, right? To praise and give thanks to God. They were to sing songs of thanksgiving. Uh, In verse 8, in the Hebrew, this is the only place that this word is used in this particular form. Actually, in the whole Old Testament, it's related to a common word, The word for hand, and so it literally means to throw hands. Now, young people today talk about throwing hands. They mean a fist fight, fisticuffs. That's not what's talking about here in, in the Hebrew, in Nehemiah, but gesturing in praise, to revere or worship God with outstretched hands. That is what the picture is here. So they were to praise and give thanks to God. Uh, according to the commandment from King David. He's mentioned twice in this passage, verses 24 and 45. And so what what did King David have to do with it? Well, he kept exhorting God's people to sing praise to God, right? Didn't he? And uh, we don't know exactly what these two choirs sang as they went their opposite routes on the wall. Some have suggested, if you're a jotter and want to look them up later, a couple of Psalms, Psalm 48 and 135, uh, that they might have been particularly fitting for this scene because they talked about the holy city, the city of God. Uh, Psalms 48 and 135. What else do we get from King David with regard to worship and praise. Well, there are 24 divisions of priests that are recorded in 1 Chronicles chapter 24, and so uh, perhaps David had something to do with that. So the commands of King David were significant to the people of that day, and similarly, the commands of Scripture are significant for us in worship still today. Uh, In our circles, we refer to sometimes to what we call the regulative principle of worship. The regulative principle of worship is in essence that God's word prescribes uh, or commands what is to be included in proper worship. Uh, Praise and thanksgiving is appropriate. Singing is is appropriate according to God's word the reading of scripture, give attention to the public reading of scripture, prayers and offerings and uh, the sacraments and on and on. God's word prescribes the elements themselves of an appropriate worship service and we try to practice that here at Grace Presbyterian Church, of course. Uh, To praise, verse 24, means to make your boast in God. Uh, I noticed during uh, Brother Ben's pastoral prayer, he talked about a, a boasting culture, and we are to boast in our weakness. What else do we boast in? Listen to these words from Jeremiah chapter 9. You can, you're welcome to join me there if you like, but you don't have to. Uh, Jeremiah 9, just verses 23 and 4. They may sound familiar to you, even if the address doesn't. Thus says the Lord, That's what we're supposed to boast in, to know and to understand God. How can you know God? Jesus Christ himself said that eternal life was to know God and Jesus whom he has sent. In uh, 1 John, it says the witness is this, that God has given eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things I've written to you in order that you may know that you have eternal life. Cockiness is misplaced self confidence. It's arrogance. That's not what we're talking about. But the scripture says if you have anything you want to boast in, it's knowing God, it's knowing the Lord. This theme is carried over in the New Testament. Uh, In fact, Jeremiah 9, about boasting in the Lord, is mentioned both in 1 and 2 Corinthians and also in Galatians chapter 6 at verse 14. And it talks about boasting only in the cross of Christ. And we sing about that, don't we? When we sing, when I survey the wondrous cross, that great hymn of the faith. What do we sing? In part, the lyrics say this. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast... Save, meaning except for, save in the death of Christ my God. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. The the blood of, of Christ speaks a better word than anything else that we might consider boasting in. So that's the choir's purpose to praise and to give thanks to God and what is the people's response as I've already indicated verse 43 is the key verse because it talks about joy that's the people's response joy five times in this one verse it's from a the original language is from a primitive root meaning to brighten up and so Everybody is rejoicing. The Levites are rejoicing. The priests are rejoicing. The men are rejoicing. It specifies uh, women and children, too. The people of God are rejoicing. J.I. Packer calls this a day of uninhibited delight. It's celebrating with gladness, even mirth or pleasure or glee. You know, there's... a Uh, an apocryphal story about heaven and the pearly gates. I don't know where pearly gates come from. Exactly, I guess looking at some of these stones and things from the scene in Revelation, but uh, a a believer in Christ died and went to heaven and was shown around the uh, pearly gates, as this story goes, and it's just a story, by St. Peter and Peter is walking down this huge hallway with these huge, massive doors, and they go by one set of doors, and um, the new recruits getting shown around, and they sort of peek inside, and, and, and he keeps hearing, amen, 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 he says. and he says to Peter, who, who are they? Who's that? And Peter says, well, those are the Baptists, and then they continue further down the hall, and there's another huge door, and they open it just a peek, and And even before the doors open, you can hear chorusing out, Hallelujah, praise the Lord. And the new recruit says again to Peter, Well, who are they? They sure seem to be having a good time. The answer is, oh, they're the Pentecostals. And they continue the tour, and they go down another way, and and there's a... Another set of huge double doors and the new recruit says, well, he's getting excited now at all this. He says, well, who's in there? And Peter says, shh, that's the Presbyterians. They think they're the only ones here. And uh, sometimes, you know, we deserve our label, the frozen chosen. And the, the response of the people here in verse 43 in Nehemiah 12 is joy. There's singing. There's musical instruments so loud that all this is heard far away. They rejoiced. They rejoiced with great joy. They rejoiced. They had joy. Five times. This is the climax of the whole book of Ezra, Nehemiah. Remember, originally one book. Ezra, Nehemiah. Those two leaders who each led a choir marching on the wall, converging at the temple which is the epicenter, because the focus of this letter is protecting the house of God. Why? Because that is the place where the covenant people of God worship the Lord of glory, the living God. And that's what the whole book of Ezra and Nehemiah is ultimately about. And God was the source of their joy, And God is the source of our joy still today. And the joy of the Lord is indeed our strength as well. Well, before we continue on to make some uh, biblical elaborations and applications, I just mentioned in passing, there's a couple of other things that we could give much attention to, but I'm choosing just to mention briefly uh, now for us today. Uh, First of all, Purification is mentioned twice in verse 30. Did you notice that? As I read, it says that they purified, which means to cleanse ceremonially. They purified the the Levites and priests. They they purified themselves. They purified the people. They purified the gates, and they purified the wall. Now, now what did this mean? Probably the people had been making preparations, ceremonial, religious, religious, Ritual preparations in advance, which would involve uh, the washing with water and that sort of thing. But then you can imagine the scene as they go along and they, they ceremonially, ritually cleanse and purify physical objects. The gate and the wall, too. You jotters out there, here's a scripture to jot down to look up on this. Leviticus 14. Leviticus 14. Go there and read later today um, verses 48 through 53 and see particularly what it says about cleansing with water and blood and the sprinkling application of these things. And of course that is reminiscent of the gospel, right? It gives us gospel adumbrations of cleansing, the washing with water and blood to symbolize the forgiveness of sins. Uh, In Leviticus 14, specifically, that's about making atonement for a house. And this is all leading up to the house of God. The other thing to mention, at least, and not to miss, is that this great joy was also accompanied by offering great sacrifices. In verse 43, there's simply no getting around the fact that the people supported the work of the house of God with their resources, with their financial resources. It's simply a matter of fact in this book as it is throughout all the scriptures. Okay, we continue on now to make some biblical elaborations and applications. If this scene seems perhaps in some ways distant or far removed from us or our experience about choirs marching on a wall and all that sort of thing, again, I think back to the many... Uh, marching band parades that my family was a part of, on other holidays too, on you know Thanksgiving and all sorts of things, and you've got instrumentation, trumpets and trombones and all the pomp and circumstance, all the pageantry. But if some of this seems somewhat foreign or distant to you, let's try to bring it into a little closer to our experience. I've got four points for you under letter B on your outline. The first one is, just as the people of old, we also ought to celebrate progress and small victories. We ought to celebrate progress and small victories. Now, under these biblical elaborations, I have a bunch of cross-references. We're not going to look them all up. I'm just going to mention them as we go for most of them. We're going to look up, at least it's my plan to look up, three of them. As we go at this time. But we ought to celebrate too. Romans 12 says, Rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Also, weep with those who are weeping, but rejoice with those who are rejoicing. You know, uh, this is the time of year, Mother's Day, dads and grads coming up, that kind of thing. We ought to celebrate with those who are rejoicing, particularly if they're rejoicing in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 12. So, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. Both of those chapters focus on body life, the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians 12, it says if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all do what? They rejoice together. That's why we share prayer requests. That's why we have a pastoral prayer that lifts up the needs of the church. To do both of those things to suffer together, and to rejoice together. Second, under biblical elaborations and applications is that Jesus completes the work of restoration. Jesus completes the work of restoration. Nehemiah, the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe of Ezra and Nehemiah, this book, the the, Two of them together almost fulfill three offices, prophet, priest, and king. But Jesus in one person does so perfectly. He is the culmination of all this restoration. I won't go back through what I spoke to last week about the fits and starts of this restoration effort, uh, but how ultimately it wasn't completely satisfying or completely successful, as we'll see next week, by the way. Um, But in Christ, all of this culminates and is made complete. In Luke 22, the first cross-reference there, it says that the scriptures must be fulfilled in Jesus. And part of it is that he was uh, numbered with the transgressors. He was considered to be a sinner, sort of guilt by association in terms of popular opinion, Jesus' friend of sinners, uh, but then ultimately as our sin bearer as he bore the sins of many and he gave his life to redeem many. John 17, why is that chapter number perhaps ring a bell? Because that's the high priestly prayer of Jesus and and he says he glorified the Father having accomplished All the work given to him. He accomplished all the work that the Father gave him. And he says so on the cross as well, right? John 19, tetelestai in Greek. It is finished, paid in full. We sing about that as well, don't we? Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. And so we're saved by Christ's incarnation that at the right time, God sent forth his son and He came in the flesh. We're saved by His incarnation. We're saved by His life of perfect obedience. We're saved, we know, by His substitutionary death on the cross. We're also saved in that He is the firstborn from the dead. The Colossians reference under point 2. Colossians 1 says, In part by Him, everything was created and everything holds together. It was all created by Jesus And he holds it all together, and he is the firstborn from the dead. That means the first fruits of the resurrection, as it says also in 1 Corinthians 15. And you might say to me, wait a minute, other people raised from the dead? Uh, Some apostles raised some people, Jesus raised some people, some of the Old Testament prophets raised people. Yes, but his resurrection is better. It's better because he was raised in his glorified state, and one day will be made like him. First cross-reference to look up is Hebrews 1 in terms of seeing how Jesus completes this work of restoration. Hebrews 1 opens with this. Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son whom He appointed the heir of all things through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is much more excellent than theirs. The last days. We're in the last days. We've been in the last days since the time of Christ. It speaks of Christ being part of creation again. Of purification from sins again. That he sat down because when he said it is finished, the work of redemption had been consummated and completed. Jesus completes the work of restoration Number three under these biblical elaborations, what we're doing here is we're interpreting scripture with scripture, and we're seeking to live it out, to understand it, to believe it, to worship God ourselves, and to implement it and practice it in our lives where we can. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It says so in Psalm 92, where it also mentions his mercy or his steadfast love. Once again, that word keeps popping up, that Word for God's special, redeeming, covenant love for his people. You may know it, hesed. And then the, the, the famous short, pithy, terse passage at the end of 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, and don't quench the spirit. All these imperatives spat out in rapid order. And yet, there's also one word of explanation tucked in there, isn't there? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. Why? We have an explanatory note in 1 Thessalonians 5. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think last, only last week I said there's four places that make the will of God explicit in the New Testament. This is one of them. Rejoicing always and giving thanks in all circumstances is God's will for his people in Christ Jesus. It's not my opinion, it's black and white in scripture. How are you doing with that? Are you giving thanks to him in all circumstances or only the ones to your liking? And last, let's rejoice in the Lord. Let's rejoice. Here at Grace Presbyterian Church, here when we are in the midst of a global pandemic, here when we had to pivot to online ministry, just like most every other church in America and others around the world. Let's rejoice in the Lord, even in difficult times. Uh, In Psalm 33, it opens with this. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Befits. It's fitting. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright and all his work is done in faithfulness. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of that steadfast love of the Lord. Everybody loves a parade, right? Not everybody. I remember being at so many of those parades out of respect to my son's participation, in particular my son having his own ambivalence about his own participation. I, we had some regular parade routes And for some, it was a festive gathering and they loved it. And for other homeowners that on certain appointed days of the year, you could see them battering down the hatches. They didn't like the noise. And I wonder in the day of Nehemiah, they said, this is what we're going to do. We're, 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 we're going to have a parade. We're going to form two choirs. Some of y'all are going to go this way. Some of us are going to go that way. We're going to meet in the middle. We're going to pray and we're going to rejoice loud. There's going to be singing. There's going to be instrumentation. Blow the shofar and all kinds of stuff. It's going to be awesome because God is awesome in this place. And I bet that really engaged the heart and the mind and the emotions of many of the believers And I bet other people went. I don't like that loud stuff. I don't like that. It's not my cup of tea. And you know we're like that in the church too sometimes, aren't we? Uh, We're only singing hymns today. I like it better when we sing the indelible grace stuff. Or uh, we're singing out of the songbook. You know, why don't? Why can't the pastor of us just stick to the hymnal? That's not my favorite kind of music. Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's a matter of preference, and you're allowed to have preference or style or taste. But have you ever considered there's something larger going on at hand? Read the Word of God and recognize that appropriate worship isn't just all about you. It includes other people, and ultimately it is to be done for our ultimate audience himself, which is God. In Habakkuk, um, Old Testament prophet, in terms of rejoicing in the Lord. Just listen to these words, Habakkuk 3, starting in verse 17, about rejoicing in hard times. Th- these are hard times. I mean, life is, life is hard, ministry is hard, church is hard, and you know what? It's only gotten harder in the last 15 months. I think. I mean, that's, that's an opinion. But it's difficult. Listen to Habakkuk, though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in my circumstances. No, I will take joy in the God of my salvation. No matter your circumstances. That's what the prophet of old said. And that can be true for us today. Your next cross reference. I'm not going to read it, but Philippians 4. You know that passage. And part of it says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And part of our application here as a church corporately is going to be after next week, we finish off Nehemiah, realizing it didn't all go quite hunky-dory, And then we're going to start with the book of Philippians, calling it Choose Joy. It's known as the Epistle of Joy, because Paul keeps talking about joy in that letter, and you know he wrote it from being in prison for his faith. It starts June 13th. Bring a friend. From 2 Corinthians 6, today is the day of salvation. And it talks about rejoicing amid persecution and distress. And as far as I know, none of us have yet struggled or suffered in our resisting against sin to the the point of shedding our own blood. Some of it's a matter of perspective. So who doesn't love a parade? Well, some people don't, but a lot of people do. The word of God here encourages us to rejoice in the Lord, in the God of our salvation, no matter what. Let's pray. Lord, would you work joy in our hearts? Not I don't know if I may make a distinction before you, Lord, in prayer. Happiness seems to be more fleeting and more circumstance-based. But we can always have an abiding joy, even in the midst of life's trials, to, to count it all joy when we encounter various trials. Knowing that you are at work, knowing that suffering, even suffering for the faith is... Honoring to you, you take note of it. Knowing that you are producing endurance and steadfastness in your people when we give you thanks by faith, acknowledging that you're sovereign and good and in control and your providence is over all your works and you're kind in all your ways. Let us believe that through the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ in whom we pray. Amen.